thank you for this time that we're able to open up the Word of God, Father, and be able to look at your Word and to learn your Word. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you open up our eyes, you open up our ears to be able to hear and see what you're saying to the church today. That we didn't come just to check the box. We've come to really lean in and get what you have for us today. And I pray, Father God, that we reach out with our faith, believing and trusting that you're going to touch our heart, that we will never be the same after the, today's message. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Revelations 4. Hallelujah. But before we get there, I want to read a few things. Revelations 1, 3. In the New King James says this right here. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in for the time is near. This is the only book of the Bible. Now you're going to be blessed if you read all of it. But this is one of the, uh, the book that Jesus specifically said, blessed are you for reading this book. You're blessed for reading this book. So that's why it's so important that we do read this book. And a lot of times, and I don't know about you guys, I went to church for years. I never really heard a pastor have a series on the book of Revelations on a Sunday morning. Okay, to where we open up the book of Revelations. A lot of times, the words are, man, it's too complicated. It's scary. Ooh, man, I don't know about this book. We better kind of e. Anything in the Bible is good for us. And we must partake of it. Especially if the master said, blessed is those who read this and hear this book. So before I get into Revelations 4 and 5, just to kind of recap a few things that we've done, we started week 1, we went through Revelations chapter 1, uh, and then kind of did a summary of the whole book, but we really talked and read the book of uh, the first chapter when it talked about that Jesus showed himself to John. And he, he said, look, I want you to write some things down, I want you to give it to some churches, and I'm going to show you some things. John was in his 90s on the island of Patmos, minding his own business probably. You know what I'm saying? And then Jesus just shows up. How many of you know that if you're seeking Jesus, you're living for Jesus, Jesus can just show up where you're at? We see it all through the Bible. That's why we need to be diligently going after Him, especially on days you don't feel like serving Him. Days that you feel so far away from God, okay, that's when you could be the closest to Him. And I'm telling you guys, if we will continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we shall be filled up. Every need will be met. I promise you. And that's tough sometimes when things ain't going the way you want it to go. That's tough when life's kind of throwing a curveball at you. But if you'll stay in the game and you'll keep fighting, you'll keep swinging, I promise you Jesus will come through. So here you got John, probably just finished his last letter. You know, he wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. 3 John being real short. He probably just finished that one and went, Whew, man, I'm done. And then Jesus shows up with the whammo. Let me take you on a trip. Now, you know, it would have been a trip for a 19-year-old. But a 90-year-old swinging through the heavens, checking out the, the throne, seeing all the stuff he was seeing, it was pretty powerful. But all that was written for you and me. And guess what? You and me are in that time period right now. We're looking at what John saw years ago. Amen? And we need to be excited about it. Are y'all excited about it? So in Revelations 2 and 3, we unpack those seven churches. There were seven churches that he wrote letters to. And every one of those churches represent a condition of the heart from my perspective. Okay? They were a literal church in that day, but there was something going on in each one of those churches. Okay? Is there something going on in each churches today? Absolutely. Good, bad, ugly, all kinds of stuff. The same correction that Jesus brought those churches is good for us. The same praise He brought those churches is good for us. But through those churches we found that the last two churches, the church at Philadelphia and the church at Laodicea, most scholars believe that each church represented a church age or a dispensation. Well, if that's the case, then Philadelphia and Laodicea is the last two. And I believe that's where we're at. I believe we're right here at the last two. And I want to share a little bit about that. But Acts 17.11 says this, guys. Acts 17.11 says this. And I want this scripture, if you could, mark in your Bible, highlight it in your U version. Remember this verse right here because it's so, so important, guys. It says in verse 11, it says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. 
That means wherever you go, whatever church you attend, whatever message you listen to, you make sure you study. Don't just listen to anybody, okay? Don't just take what anybody else says. It can, it can absolutely cause you to go in a totally different direction. Amen. Today we're going to look at uh, Revelations chapters 4 and 5. And what I'm going to do, uh, we're going to break down each verse. So I'm going to read the first verse and then I'm going to kind of give a little description on it. I really believe this is powerful at some of the things we're going to talk about here. But guys, since I've been doing it, I wish I'd have known how tough this was when I said we was going to do this, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? I mean, I work a full-time job like everybody else does. This book requires full-time. <laughs> it is really that deep. Every verse has so much weight on it, okay? So I'm going to do my best. There's so much more that can you know, be said about these verses. So just pray and believe that we get what God has, and I, and I believe, I believe you'll, you'll get something. Okay, so uh, Revelation 4, uh, verse 1. And Brandon, I'll be in the New King James Version through all this, bro. Thank you, man. Uh, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. John is called up to heaven by the same voice that spoke to him in Revelation chapter 1. The things that John was about to witness was things in the future, not the present, guys. He's getting ready to be seeing something that is going to happen, which, guys, we're seeing the remnants of that right now, okay? We're seeing it, and we don't know how much of it's going on that really is biblical. Revelation chapter 4 begins with the Greek word metaautos, and the first verse begins and ends with the same Greek words. The words literally from the, literally from the Greek are after these things. After these things was referring to what he just talked about, talked to John about in chapters 2 and 3. So what's happened is, is John has been brought up here, which is a symbol of the church being raptured and brought out of here. You had two churches, like I said at the end, okay, we're in those right now. You have the Church of Philadelphia, which was a church in revival. It was a church that didn't get corrected. It was a church that was praised by Jesus. They were doing some great things. Then you have the Church of the Laodiceans. Lukewarm. Spew you out of my mouth. You ain't doing nothing really, okay? They got no commendation. They got no praise at all. These two churches are present today among us. Now, they, we know Jesus told us, okay, in the Gospels, that beware, there's going to be deceivers in the last days. Y'all remember Jesus saying that multiple times. Beware, there's going to be deceivers in the last days. Did you know there's going to be some that stand behind pulpits with the intent to deceive people? They're going to do it, okay? Their intent is to deceive you. There's going to be some that deceive people unintentionally. That means their heart's not to cause people to go astray, but because they're not rightly dividing the word, they're going to get off very easy and they're going to begin to go in a direction they shouldn't go and think they're going in the right direction. That's a dangerous place to be. We have a devil that's the God of this world and he's a master deceiver, okay? He's going to take well-meaning preachers and he's going to lead them down paths that seem right, but they ain't going to be right. And I'm telling you, every preacher... If I had a room full of them here right now, I would tell them you better live in the presence of God. Because in these, and you too, <laughs> amen, because you've got to discern it, you know. And we think, well, you know, a little bit's not that big a deal. Friend, let me tell you something. If you're in a jet airline and you're leaving from here and you're going to L.A., if you get off just a little bit between here and L.A., you could end up somewhere in Mexico. You could end up somewhere in Canada just being off just a little bit. See, just a little bit off for 3,000 miles can put you in a bad place. Amen. Just a little bit off over 20 years could put you in a bad place. And that's what we're fighting with here, okay? The enemy ain't going out quiet, guys, okay? That's why this book has been avoided. That's why the devil don't want us in this book. Because in this book, Jesus Christ reveals to you and me how it's all going to play out. I mean, what commander-in-chief with his right mind would ever tell the enemy what he's going to do before he does it? And have confidence that it ain't going to be interrupted. That's the God we serve. But back to those two churches, guys. There is a great divide. I believe with all my heart 
that the Philadelphia church is going to be the church that goes up here with John that's caught up in the rapture. Last week we watched a video. Many of you guys were here. And you seen that they were in the church service worshiping God. They were having a good time. And then all of a sudden, bam, the rapture took place. Some people were left behind. That's a picture of the Laodicean church. Those that are playing church. Those that are living hypocritically, okay? Now, the good news is for those that were left behind, you're not out of the game. You still got a shot. Amen? You ain't in the coffin. So you still got a shot. Now, it's going to be a long shot. It's going to be tough, a lot tougher than it would have been had you got it right before he did that, okay? But you still are in the game, amen, because we serve a God of love. He ain't bringing judgments on the earth because he don't like people. He's bringing judgments on the earth to restore it back to the way it was because Jesus is coming for a bride, and he wants to present his bride to an earth without spot, sin, anything. Amen? Just like I want to take care of my bride. I ain't leading my bride into a place where there's hungry lions. I'm bringing my bride into a safe place. If there's danger, I don't want to bring her. That's another reason why I believe Jesus lifts us out of here before all this is getting ready to take place. Now, guys, I'm telling you, the next two chapters are glorious chapters. But as far as I'm concerned, the church is already in heaven. We're there. And he's letting John see what we're going to see because he's taking the bride out of here. Now, there's a lot of people that teach that, you know, Jesus comes back in the mid-trib, in-trib, post-trib, hab-trib, whatever trib you want, okay? It's not a salvation issue. Whenever Jesus comes back, that's up to him, okay? But we know when he's coming back. When everybody hears the gospel, we got it. We got it. We know when he's coming back. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's go on. All right? I believe that we are living in a time period, like I said, um, let me just go ahead and say it, that is explained in the letters to the church at Philadelphia and the church at Laodicea. One church was in revival and the other church was worldly and lukewarm towards God. I believe that when the church has completed its purpose upon the earth and has finished its witness, or as the Apostle Paul describes, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that the Lord is then going to catch away His church into heaven. So what do we mean by Gentiles? When you, see, when you hear the word Gentiles, what do you think about? Not Americans. <laughs> Gentiles is everybody that's not a Jew, okay? You and I need to realize up to 2,000 years ago, we wasn't even in the picture. We wasn't even in the game. There was nobody that could taste the kingdom of heaven. Okay, it was the Jewish, the Israelites, they were the only ones. Now, there were some outsiders that got to go in because they kind of, you know, got smart and said, hey, I want what you got. You know, I'm going to follow you. Amen? And I think one of them was, uh, now, uh, what was the, the lady's name? Is it Ruth? No, Ruth? Well, yeah, but she actually followed Naomi, right? Okay? Yeah, Naomi was a child of God. She was a Jewish person. So she said, hey, look, <laughs> this ain't working over here. I'm gonna, so see, that was a Gentile. They decided. So there was Gentiles that didn't make a decision to follow God. But you need to realize that the rapture of the church is the end of the Gentile age. Now God's turning his attention in the rest of the book of Revelations to who? The Jews. The rest of this book, once we leave chapter 6, is about waking up the Jews to see that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen? That's his hope that that nation is going to come back to God. Amen? And it, it gets a little nasty, hallelujah, but we'll cover that another time. But in 1 Thess Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18, Paul says this about that rapture, about that catching away. He says in verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. That means he don't want us to be stupid. He wants us to know that these things are going to happen. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, falling asleep is just a really sweet word of saying dead. But really what Paul is saying is, is if you are alive in Christ, you never taste death. You just fall asleep for a little while. Then you wake up and your body's with your spirit. Amen? He goes on to say, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, not by Paul, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. And that's what we do. We comfort each other. Hey man, look man, keep on. Keep going. I'm telling you, man, we're going to leave here one day. We're about to split this joint, man. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Loving people, giving, being generous, giving, loving. I promise you, you'll be so glad you did when we meet Jesus in the air. So as we enter then into chapter 4, we enter the post-church era upon the earth. We will be coming back to the earth, not us, but Jesus, in chapter 6. But it is the post-church era. When God now judges the world for its ungodliness and unrighteousness and for its rejection of His Son. But the church with John here in chapter 4 are caught up into heaven. Now will Jews be raptured the same way that the Gentiles will? Yes. All the Jews that have put their faith in Jesus, they're a part of the universal church. So they're going out of here. But you need to know this, that if you really want to pay attention to the end times, you watch Israel. That's the fig tree. You keep your eye on that. And how many times do we see Israel in the news? Oh, yeah. Here lately we've had some representatives of the House and Congress that have said some things very negative to Israel. Is that good? That ain't good. Who are they saying that to? They're saying that to God. Let me tell you something. I believe that the only reason the United States exists, and this is my humble opinion, is so we could back Israel. Because there's no other country on the planet that helps Israel like this country. Period. Bar none. So when you start hearing things like, you know, let's don't help Israel. Let's pull out of Israel. You know, just get away from them and all that kind of stuff. Just know that's the enemy's plan. And it's going to come to pass. The United States is going to walk away from Israel one day. Okay? That's just going to happen. But when it does, <laughs> it's not going to be good. I hope I'm already out of here. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm glad I'm on the side with Israel. And I'm glad we got representatives in the House, in the uh, White House, everywhere that's supporting Israel. Okay? All right? I'm glad we, we, we fight against abortion. I'm glad we stand up against abortion. I'm glad that. I'm, I'm fine with that. You know? That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Amen? We're standing up for right things. Hallelujah. So something to think about. The word church never occurs in the chapter describing the period of judgment in, in earth. From the opening of the seals into the marriage of the bride, chapter 4 through chapter 19, focus on the nation and people of Israel. The word church does not appear again until Revelation 22, 16. Man, is that a coincidence? That's when we come back with Him in the New Jerusalem. I mean, guys, I'm telling you, we only have a few more days if you're serving Jesus. I want these pages in this book to stir us to be more generous, more loving, more caring than we've ever been in our life. We had somebody come in the store yesterday. And I'm telling you, man, it's hard for me to even talk about it. Well, maybe not crying. This woman here don't claim to be a Christian at all. Matter of fact, she was bringing it. I'm talking, man, she was a cousin. I, I looked at me. I thought, man, that was me years ago. But she, she didn't claim to be a Christian. But I'm telling you, she was so generous in helping people. She goes to Kroger, Publix, and she just gets in line to help people. They know her at Publix in Lake Dow of just helping people as they, they need groceries and stuff. Just helps them. Being generous, being generous, and not even necessarily serving God. And I just think about our own lives. Sometimes we as the church play the role of Pharisee. We're more focused on what's going on in here than we are on out there. Come on, talk to me. We are. Position, status, you know, what we're doing, what we're not doing. We, we're more focused. It's pharisaical. That's Pharisee stuff right there. Instead of focusing on what's going on out there. And man, as she was talking, I'm just saying, look, what if the church begins to start looking for ways to help people all the time? I mean, just you're just looking all the time, looking for ways to help somebody. My gosh, man, what a picture of Jesus. Amen. Revelations 4.2. He goes on to say, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. John's description of heaven was a throne set in heaven. This throne is what first strikes John, and it is the centerpiece of this vision. 
John is fixated on the occupied throne and everything else that is described is in relation to that throne. The bottom line of atheism and materialism is that there is no throne. There is no seat of authority or power that the entire universe must answer to. The bottom line of humanism is that there is a throne, but man sits upon it. The throne is not empty. There is one who sits on the throne. The question is, does the one who sits on the throne occupy a place in your life? The question is, do you live in light of the truth that there is an occupied throne in heaven? Do you live that way? Does God have a place in your life? Amen? We sometimes will give Him bits and pieces of our life. But have you decided to give Him all of your life? You know, in the Old Testament, they would bring animal sacrifices to sacrifice to the Lord, to get forgiveness of sin, okay, and whatever else. Romans tells us that we are supposed to be a living sacrifice, bringing our bodies to the Lord and laying our lives down. Amen. Things have changed a lot. So it's up to each one of us. Are you bringing yourself to the Lord? Do you recognize that there is a God that's sitting on the throne? A loving God. If you could uh, pull up Hebrews 4, 6. Hebrews 4, 6. I mean 4, 16. Hebrews 4, 16. And look at this. Now while we're talking about the throne, check this verse out right here. Hebrews 4, 16. This is what we as followers of Christ get to partake of, okay, every single day. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the what? Throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of God. Everybody in this room, you get to go to the throne room every single day and ask your father for help. Ask your father to help you, and he will. Every time he will. I'm telling you, he never fails. Hallelujah. The throne is a powerful declaration of not merely God's presence, but of his sovereign rightful reign and his right to judge all things. This is no ordinary throne. This is the throne. The throne from which the almighty creator rules. Revelations 4.3. It says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. So John is saying that who is sitting on that throne kind of reminded him of a jasper and a sardius stone. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. What John saw at the throne, John does not describe a distinct figure because you can't look on God and live, okay? Instead, he describes glistening light in two colors. White, jasper, may mean diamond, and red, sardius. The throne is surrounded by a green-hued rainbow. The rainbow is a reminder of God's commitment to His covenant with man, with Noah. You remember after the flood, God made a covenant with Noah. Well, guess what? He's got that up there in His throne to remind Him of what He made with man. Has He made a covenant with me and you? Yes, He has. All those that call on the name of the Jesus Christ, you come into a covenant with the Master. He remembers that covenant. He made a covenant with Noah. That's why this world will never be flooded again. Never. I don't care what anybody says, okay? I don't care what glacier melts. I don't care what happens. This flood, this, this earth as we know it will never, ever flood. You've got God's word on it. He goes on to say this. Uh, where was I? Hallelujah. <laughs> the believer glories in the sovereignty of God because he knows that God's sovereignty is on his side. It means that no good purpose of God relating to the believer will ever be left undone. Never be left undone. God will make sure it will get done. Revelations 4.4 says this, Around the throne were 24 other thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Who are the 24 elders? There's a great debate on whether they are human or angelic, yet the, they certainly represent God's people. Elders were representatives of God's people, of God, in both the Old and New Testament. The 24 courses of the priesthood represented all the priests in 1 Chronicles 24. The 12 tribes and the 12 apostles represented all the faithful. Angels were referred to have white robes and garments. Humans were referred to have white robes. We never see an angel crowned with a gold crown. Nowhere. So it leads to believe that these guys uh, or whoever they are are representing us. Because you think about even the, the, um, what he said you know, earlier when he talked about you know, uh, the sardius uh, and the jasper, okay, and those colors of those two stones. 
One being white, one being red, could be a representation of the blood of Jesus. And white meaning that, you know, we've been you know, made clean before God. His love, okay? And I'm going to tell you something. What you're going to see about God as we go through this, that His Son was very important to Him in what He did. And you're going to see a lot of things in, in His throne of pictures. <laughs> Just like you got pictures of your kids, okay? He has pictures of His Son. He has pictures of all of us. Things that we've done. Things that He wants to remember in His throne. That's good news, amen? So we see that redeemed man sits on throne with Jesus. Much lesser thrones. These are lesser thrones that these 24 are sitting on, but they sit with Him. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, it says this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. And did what? Made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Revelations 4, verse 5. Next verse. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. The flashes of lightning and thunders and voices to me represent power and authority. I also believe that when you hear thunderings and lightning, what do you assume is about to happen? Storms about to happen, right? Usually when you hear the lightning out there and the thunder, that means that something's coming, okay? There's a storm coming. I believe that these thunders and lightning right here are a representation of what's about to come in chapter 7, 8, 9, 10. There's a storm coming to this earth called the tribulation. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to wake up unto righteousness. We've got to wake up and know the time is short. Playtime's over. Guys, we've got to get our heart on, on uh, heavenly things and off of earthly things. I mean, it's a fight. It is a fight. But guys, we've got to make a determination to do it because there's souls in the balance. One day we're going to be up in heaven and we're going to be seeing all this catastrophe probably going on. You're going to see people that are going to be, you know, asked to leave the presence of God. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't want to, I don't want to see that. I don't, that's, going to, that's going to break my heart. But we have something we can do about it right here. And it takes work. Hallelujah. Revelations 4, 6 through 8. I'm going to read several of them real quick because this is where I want to park just for a minute. It says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they did not, they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, friend, if I do ever sit on a throne, I don't believe I'm ever going to handpick those four things to be sitting around as I'm watching them. I mean, if you could you picture uh, a lion with eyes all around and wings all over the place? Just picture that, man. I mean, but to God, that is amazing. But I'm talking about to us, we, that, they put that in horror movies, man. That's what you see in horror movies. You don't scare people with. But there's something glorious about these four. And I, and I really want to bring some things out about these four living creatures because we see these four living creatures go way back to Genesis. We see them go way back to, to the beginning, Numbers. I mean, you see God actually bringing these four creatures out as representations of His people. We know that these four living creatures to be cherubims. They're not humans. <laughs> I ain't never seen a human like that. Hallelujah. Cherubim were also prominent in the tabernacles holy of holy, a model of the throne of God in some manner. In Exodus 25, he talks about that. You know, Moses went to heaven for 40 days and 40 nights and came down with the actual blueprint to build a tabernacle that looked like the one in heaven. I mean, down to the T. You ought to read that. I mean, I'm talking about to the wood, to the structure, to how it was all supposed to be set up. It was amazing. And he came back and he did it. Glory to God. According to Exodus 25, 26, their multitude of eyes indicate these living creatures are not blind instruments. Obviously. Amen. They ain't blind. Okay. Or robots. 
They know and understand. These beings of incredible intelligence and understanding live their existence to worship God. All failure to truly worship God is rooted in a lack of seeing and understanding. Your lack of worshiping God is you just don't see and understand what's going to happen when you do. Your lack of praying is because you don't believe He's going to do anything when you pray. So why pray? I'm telling you, if you believe that when you prayed something was going to happen, that would be our first response, not our last resort. Come on, talk to me, man. I mean, pray about everything. I mean, we left, uh, 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 we left a place we was at, me and Belinda, and we was going down to get in the truck, and we was parked in a deck here, knowing that my truck, when you lock all the doors and you get the key and open it, the alarm just goes off. Bah, bah, bah. You got to stick the key in the ignition and turn it real quick, and the alarm, I mean, it goes off. Well, we was in a, we was in a parking deck. My God, if it goes off here, it's going to sound really loud. You know what I'm saying? So right before I got it, I just said, oh, God, man, please, Lord, don't let this thing go off. So I go to open up the door, lock it. You know, I'm a man of great faith here, you know what I'm saying? And I open the door, and I'm reaching for the ignition real quick, and it didn't go off. And I was like, it's never done that, never, okay? We both were like, hallelujah, you are so good, God. I just spent, I mean, just how long did it take me to ask Daddy to do something? And he did it, amen? That works every time. But if you ain't walking with him and you don't know him, guess what? You don't have confidence in him. You're going to have confidence in other things. Your daddy's sitting on a throne with you in mind to help you, to hear from you, and to get involved in your situation. Every time, man. Man, we serve a God. And some of y'all in this room know that. Y'all have had that experience. Y'all have seen that you've asked God to do something and he did it. Let's stay with him. Let's don't get God to do something and go, okay, let's get back to doing what we're doing. No, man. He's got more to show us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Historians write that the tribes of Israel were divided into four groups, each gathering under the banner of a lion, which was Judah on the east, an ox, Ephraim on the west, a man, Reuben on the south, and an eagle, Dan on the north. Now in Numbers 2, 3, 10, 18, and 25, you see this mentioned, okay? But what God was saying that, hey, look, I want you guys at the end of the day when it's time to go to bed, or set up your tents. Whenever the tabernacle would stop, they would set up their tents. This is how they were supposed to set up their camp. The tabernacle was in the med- in the middle, okay? And I got a picture. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. Uh, you can go ahead and show that first picture, Brandon, okay? This would be what, what you would see, okay, if you was in the camp. I know this is a little, you know, right here, okay? If you was in their camp, they would set up tents all around. This was the tabernacle. This was the, the fire by night. And the cloud by day, okay? So the light came down, and that's how they could see, all right? But this is where they would go in there. The priest would go in there, and God would abide in there. So looking at that, you're saying, okay, well, there's just, there's a lot of tents. There's a lot of people. But there was a strategic way he would actually have them to do it. So he, what he said was Judah, Essachar, and Zebulun numbering 186,000. Okay, just some of these names, uh, numbers here. Uh, their symbol, well, let me say this. Okay, Judah, Essachar, and Zebulun, numbered 186,400, were to camp on the east side and were known as the camp of Judah. What is the symbol of Judah? The lion. Because when Jesus returns with all power and authority, he will return from the east. He's returning from the east. Okay? See, there's nothing that's done in the Bible just by accident. Everything is strategically put there. Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin numbering 108,100, were to camp on the west side and were known as the camp of Ephraim. Their symbol was an ox. Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, numbering 151,400, were to camp on the south side. And Dan, Naphtali, and Asher, numbering 157,600, were to camp on the north side. Okay. Now, when you see that, like I said, that picture, you see them all camped out. But the way he told Moses to tell them to set it all up would have looked like this. The next one. Hallelujah. What's that look like? That's what God saw from heaven. Every time they set up camp. This is way before the cross, guys. This is way before the mention of the cross. That he had his people set up camp to where it looked like a cross. You had the east right here, which had the most people, and this is where Jesus is going to come in. But this right here was something that the dad of all heaven and earth could see all the time. 
Friend, he sees your life in a way you couldn't imagine. And as we trust him, just like if they were to continually trust him, they would have had every need met, but they complained and murmured and all that, but he still loved them. But just like God took care of every one of those tribes, fire by night, cloud by day, manna, water out of a rock, took care of them all the time, is the same God that has structured your life in a way that he sees it as success. He sees your life finished before you ever get started. The problem is, is there's an enemy that's trying to get you out of here. He's trying to distract you, okay? And we've got to avoid that distraction and follow him. I just thought that was amazing that, man, that is what Dad saw every time they set up camp. Every time. He saw a cross because he knew one day his son was going to hang on that. And it was powerful to him, and he didn't want to forget it. He wanted to see it because that was going to be a hard day for him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. If you and I was to be there, we've just seen a lot of people. These four faces represent all creation of utmost excellence. The lion is the mightiest of all wild animals. The ox is the strongest of domestic animals. Eagle is the king of all birds. <laughs> Man is the highest of all creation. I mean, I saw a hawk the other day swing down and hit something in the woods. I was at work and I was on a ladder and I saw that hawk come down and hit something. I said, man, that joker's going to kill something. So, man, I got off the ladder. I didn't tell nobody, but I ran around the back of the house. I got up on the pool thing. I, I was going to run over there and actually see what the heck this bird done got. Well, man, I got about halfway, and that big old bird jumped up on the, the, the wall with me. And I'm going, hello. I changed my mind. I'm staying here with the phone. I'm going to video you, baby. You know, I mean, I'm telling you, that was a big bird. I'm thinking, whoa, dude, I just want to see what was going on. You know what I'm saying? He was big. But you know an eagle? They can almost pick up a human being and drag it for a little bit. Them eagles are powerful. When the eagle shows up, every other bird kind of starts, you know, putting their leg or their feathers, whatever. <laughs> Ain't got a tail, hallelujah. <laughs> okay. But the lion's the same way. A lion comes into the scene. I'm telling you, the other animals know. Whoa, big daddy's here, okay. I'm just telling you, man. But God has these for a reason. And man is the highest of all creation. I know that don't, you know, when you're in the woods and a lion's coming after you, that don't kind of reveal that right then, okay? <laughs> I'm leaving, okay? <laughs> All right. John describes what is happening at the throne of God, the living creatures constantly worshiping God. They repeat the phrase, holy, holy, holy. The repetition is meant to show something in the highest possible sense. In Hebrew, the double repetition of a word adds emphasis, while the rare threefold repetition designates the highest form and calls attention to the infinite holiness of God. They declare that the Lord God is Almighty. If they do that, should we not do that? Amen? These 24 elders were literally throwing their crowns, throwing their things at God's feet every time they would sing. As a representation that any good thing we get, it came from Him anyway. Give it back to Him. I'm telling you, God wants to make His kids rich, wealthy, blessed, a success. God wants you to shine, man. He wants to lift you up, put you on a pedestal and say, That's my girl. That's my boy. He will do that if we let Him. We just got to let Him. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Revelations 4, 9 through 11. It says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Hallelujah. The 24 elders worship the enthroned God, the worship of the 24 elders is started by the cherubim. Since the cherubim worship God day and night, so do the elders. They worship God in the truest sense. They cast their crowns before His throne, realizing that any reward they have is because of Him and His glory. They worship God because of His creative power and glory. The fact that God is creative gives Him all right and claim to everything, even as the potter has all rights and claim over the clay. God owns you. He owns you. If you've given your life to Jesus, He bought you with the blood of Jesus. And God is so loving and kind that He gave us the Holy Spirit as a down payment is to let us know He's coming to get us. He's not going to leave us as helpless orphans. He's coming to get us. But friend, as we see the throne room in chapter 4, we see God's beautiful place. We see what's going on there. 
And we see that you have access to it 24-7. There is no excuse for us to ever be without our daddy. In any situation, good, bad, ugly, it don't matter. And real quick, as they go into chapter 5, you see Jesus show up on the scene because there was a scroll. As he goes into chapter 5, verse 1 talks about that... um, What is the scroll? He says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back seal with seven seals. What is the scroll? It is the title deed of the earth. There was a part in chapter 5, and I'll just kind of paraphrase a little bit, and you can read it later. But there was a part in chapter 5 where John looked out and, and the angel said, Who is worthy to open up the scroll? Who is worthy? And then the angel said, No man is worthy. John began to weep because he said there was nobody to be able to open up this scroll. But then the 24 elders said, Hey, bro, chill, stop. <laughs> the lamb's coming. He's coming. Here comes the lamb. The door just kicked open. Here comes the lamb, your Messiah, your king, my king, my Lord. He comes walking in. <laughs> All right, we good. We got it. Because, see, we look for salvation from man. You're going to vote in a, year, a couple more years, okay? We're going to vote. We're going to vote for people to get in office. They ain't going to save you. They ain't going to to save you. There's only one saver. His name is Jesus. There's only one redeemer. His name is Jesus. Man can't open the scroll. Man can't do it. No man can. So why not serve the one that can open up every area of your life? Serve the one that can give you everything you need. He needs no help from man. You need something? Go to God. You need help, go to him. There was only one worthy. It was John, uh, Jesus. So he comes in. And in verse, uh, chapter 6 through chapter 19, he opens up the scroll. And the seals begin to be opened. Judgment begins. But as it's beginning through all those chapters, and we'll look at some of it next week, the love of God is compelling people to turn to him. But the Bible says that even while those judgments are happening and those seals are being opened, the trumpets are being blown, the bowls of wrath are being unleashed, there's going to be people that look to God, point their fingers, and say, man, who are you mad at? Mad at God. And all the while, God, in His love and mercy, is trying to get people to Him. Friend, your life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. I'm telling you guys, we have a shot to show God how much we love Him on this side of heaven. And showing Him how much you love Him when everything's going well is easy. That's easy. That is easy. It really don't take much effort. When all your life's going good, all your bills are being paid, everything's hunky-dory in your life, it's pretty simple to kind of praise God. Amen? And to be happy. But what does your life look like? What's your praise look like when you get a phone call? This is a bad phone call. Or you get a report from a doctor. Or you get a diagnosis. Does that change God's position? I mean, does it change Him being on the throne? I mean, we get a bad report. And congratulations on passing that test. Y'all give her a hand. She passed the test. She is a bus driver in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All things are possible. Glory to God. Ain't that what you said? You said something about we're more than conquerors. Okay? We are conquerors. Amen? I think that's just awesome. Glory to God. But we serve a God that wants to get you over every time. But guys, we've got to put him on the throne of our heart. That's our part. And as we close today, guys, and as we've looked at these these verses, I know, guys, a lot of times as we look at these, these are not jump up and shout and my gosh, man, woo, hallelujah type verses and stuff. But these are chapters that should be etched and burned in your spirit to know that you have family, you have friends that are just one breath away from eternity. And your life, your voice... Your, 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 your deeds, all that matter to whether they either say yes or no to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, they're watching, they're looking. You ain't called to win the whole world, but you are called to help your neighbor. You're called to help somebody in your sphere of influence. And you'll be given an opportunity I pray that everybody in this room, that your prayer be after today or, or even while we're praying tonight. Is that good, Cody? Uh, while we're praying tonight, we can make that our prayer, prayer tonight. Hallelujah. 
And ask God to lead you to where hurting people are. Because God, I'm not going to just show up. I'm going to show out for your glory. God, use me. Let me be a vessel that you bring finances through. Let me be a vessel that you bring hope through. Let me be a vessel that you bring healing through. Man, we're carrying God, people. We're not carrying the flu. We're carrying God. I'm talking about, man, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. The great I am is in you and me. When we walk in, things change. Amen? Things change when we walk in. I want this church to be known for the great works it does outside this church. In your own private life. When everybody else is doing it, and it ain't right, you speak into it with love and say, and show them a different way. Don't just keep going down the road with them. You're actually encouraging them to continue to fail. No, let's be that one that stands up and stands out. And I can promise you it's not going to be easy. But with God, all things are possible. We can do it. I mean, that, that precious lady right there getting on, on, on with the bus, Henry County bus, that's probably unheard of for somebody as young as her to be getting on as a bus driver. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. But I'm telling you, with God, all things are possible, people. I want you guys to get fired up about a daddy that loves you right where you're at. He's not counting anything against you. He's not mad at you. He loves you, and he wants to be a part of your life every day. And I can't say it loud enough, man. When life crumbles, run to your daddy. Pray to him. Also in Revelation chapter 5, it talks about the prayers of the saints being in a golden bowl that Jesus has. Your prayers are going to Jesus, man. And if you'll trust him and believe in him, I promise you things are going to happen. Hallelujah. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for these moments we've had to be able to look into your word, Father God. And I pray that we be a church that's hungry for revival. Hungry for a move, Father God. We want to be a church like the Philadelphia church, Father. A church that's in revival. A church that's just hungry for the things of God. That we're more hungry for you than we are food, pleasure, anything, Father. That our prayer would be that our meat is to do the will of our Father. That's what we want to do is your will, Father God. I pray for each and every person here, Father, in the name of Jesus. That that hunger and thirst for you is being touched right now. That their hearts are being turned towards you. And while I'm saying that, if you're here today and you say, Nathan, I don't know Jesus and I want to know Jesus. Today's a great day for you. You can meet Jesus. All you got to do is raise your hand and say, look, man, hey, pray with me. We're not going to call you out. We're not going to make a big deal out of it, okay? Heaven's going to make a big deal out of it. We got a whole chapter where the angels in heaven rejoice and dance and sing when somebody turns from the world and runs to Christ. Their hearts are touched. If that's you today, you say, man, I don't know Jesus and I want to know him. Just raise your hand and be bold. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I used to walk with Jesus. I used to be on fire for him. But you know what? I just kind of went my own way. I'm doing my own thing. If that's you and you want us to pray, raise your hand. Be bold. I see that hand. I see that hand back there. I see that hand. Be bold. Be bold. I mean, it's time for people to get bold. I see that hand. It's time for people to get bold. Amen? We're not ashamed of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God and the salvation. Jesus has a plan for you and me. And you that raised your hand, I'm going to tell you right now, man, you got angels in heaven. I'm talking about all the heavens putting on the dancing shoes right now. They about to be doing some dancing up in heaven. Amen? And it's because you raised your hand and said, I want Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. We're going to, we're going to confess together, guys. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I, I said I wasn't going to do this. Will y'all forgive me if I just do something I said I wasn't going to do? All those that raised your hand, if you, if you would, be bold. Come up here with me, please. Just be bold and come on up here with me. Because I want to stand with you. I want to stand with you. Come on. 
Get them up here. We don't need to look around. Y'all give my hand, guys. Give my hand. Give my hand. Put your hands together, man. Come on. This is a big deal, amen. It's a big deal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Guys, I want y'all to know that every step you just took, your heavenly Father was cheering in heaven. Get over here, cousin. I'm going to see you, man. Uh, y'all may pray for me. Hallelujah. I don't know. I'm so happy y'all are here. God is so excited about what you guys have done. Because I'm going to tell you something. There's people out here in this church right now. There's some of them need to be up here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some that are carrying around a heavy heart all the time, knowing that they need to be doing this, but they're not. You guys acknowledge, hey, look, man, we done fell short. Don't y'all agree? We missed it in some areas. We screwed up. Well, guess what? So have I. I've screwed up too. I've made mistakes. I ask God to forgive me every day, man. Every day. Don't ever let this place be a place that we forsake. Don't do it, man. We got to have his help. Amen. And I'm going to ask you guys, if y'all would, the anointing of God's here, okay? And if you're here and you say, well, you know what, man, I, I should be walking up there. Look, remember this. You're not walking to a man. You're not walking to a man. Who is going to change their life? Jesus is getting ready to change their hearts. He said, whosoever will, come. Whosoever. What I want you to know in here, guys, is God stands at the door of everybody's heart in this room. And as long as you want to be the doorkeeper of your heart, He will let you. But if you'll ever hand over the keys, and that takes some action, you've got to hand over the keys, He'll let you run your show. So if everybody would, just go ahead and raise up your hands. And I want you guys to repeat after me. We're all going to repeat this after y'all, okay? We're going to all repeat it, okay? And I believe that the work has already started in y'all's heart. We're just going to confess it, okay, for our own sake, to where we see and hear that we mean business. And we're not going to serve Jesus through the eyes of other people. Because other people could serve Jesus a million different ways, okay? We're going to serve the Jesus of the Bible. How about that? Are we good with that? We're going to look at the Bible, and that's going to be our blueprint. So let's all pray this. Say, Father God, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you, Father, to receive me back into the family today. I make a commitment this day to serve you, Jesus, all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for being the Lord of my life. Today, in Jesus' name. And just raise your hands. Church, y'all raise y'all's hands with them. Hallelujah.